welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to A Christmas Eve. We're going to have some fun today. Uh, Rich is not in the studio, so uh, what I've decided to do this week, and maybe next week, too, until until he comes back uh, for the new year, is to have a little bit of a greatest hits. And um, we're going to reach back to the first episode because it encapsulates what The Common Bridge is all about. And Rich talks a little bit about... Um, the polarization problem in politics today. I, I think that the, the case can be made that party politics has failed. That we are in an election cycle right now. And I'd like to ask people if, does it matter who the Democrat nominee is? And does it matter who wins in November 2020? Now, rest assured, you'll get very emotional uh, answers to both those questions, okay? But I'd like to pose this question. How different are we today, or, or how different would we be had the 2016 presidential election turned out the way everybody expected it to? You, th- you, you think the, the polarization would still be the same? The hatred on both sides, the you're in, you're out, I'm against you, I'm for you, would well, still be the same? Well, think about how adept our politicians have become at partisanship. They're really, really good at it. And so the day that our current president was elected, the other party said, we are going to fight this, resist this. There was no handshake across the aisle. There was no olive branch. There was no, let's let's put the election behind us. Let's work for the people. It was no, we are going to be very radical about opposition from day one. You know, I think I'm going to pull another um, clip from that first episode because it also gets into something that is uh, a part of Rich's soul, and that's the value of education. And I think this is very interesting as well. I, I first want to step back and talk about how absolutely vital education is. And the future of our country relies on it and an educated populace and and an educated populace so let's take a fictional character a childless miser with a heart of stone we'll call him rich i I, let's let's think of another name (laughs) i think i think uh dickens might have said ebenezer or something (laughs) but anyway This this na- well this done. this well played. this 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 uh, this this fictional person is uh, working a uh, let's say they they're making a medium wage and they've been frugal and they've saved their money and their plan is to retire and rely on Social Security and Medicare to supplement their pension. Okay, that's the plan. Why should they be concerned about education? Well, let's examine that. What makes up their pension? It's investments in companies. Well, who's working at those companies? 
it's the kids that are in school right now and the kids that are about to be born that are going to go attend those schools. How good are those companies going to be if that workforce isn't educated? So how good is the pension going to be? And similarly, the Social Security payments, which come from the current workforce, if you want to have enough money in there to take out, you have to have enough people paying taxes in today in order for those of us aging out to take out. I'm going to jump ahead now to the second episode way back in October where Rich was talking about gun control and uh, what his policy idea was about uh, proficiency and training-based uh, gun ownership. And this is kind of interesting uh, listening to this. And when I think about firearms, I think about this. We don't allow pilots to get their private pilot license and jump into the seat of a 747 and take off. Um, we do not allow people to own fireworks unless they can show they know how to handle them and they know how to store them and that they're, they can uh, be competent with them. We don't take driver's licenses and let a 16-year-old get behind the wheel of an 18-wheeler. We, we, we don't do that. In all these cases, we have graduated licensing so that the person that enjoys these privileges, that they show that they've taken the time to understand how to safely operate, they show that they uh, will commit to safe storage, um, and they will demonstrate a competency under the watchful eyes of trained instructors, and in the case of pilots, including medical exams and psychiatric evaluations. And I, I think about a structure perhaps like this. If someone wants to purchase a gun, they should have the right to purchase that gun. And there's lots of good reasons for it, but frankly, they don't need a reason. And But I would say this, that the first gun might be limited to revolvers of a certain caliber uh, with a certain capacity and perhaps a deer rifle with a limited uh, number of rounds and uh, subject to a bit of a written test and then demonstrating that they have the ability to handle the weapon safely. And then, you know, in, in a period of time, it could be a period of months or it could be up to a year, uh, more education and more review by a gun instructor and show you can handle a semi-automatic handgun. You can... You can uh, use a, a larger caliber uh, weapon um, that, and then move up to carbines and such. I, I believe it's uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 million guns in the United States. That's amazing. Over 10 million of the so-called assault rifles. Now, if you think about those numbers, if the issue was the hardware, every day would be absolute carnage, right? Right. But, you know... And so people, most people are using them safely. Most people are storing them well. What we need to do is make sure that the people that shouldn't have them don't. And, and part of that process is demonstrate that you've got proficiency with it. And note that the proposal I have restricts no one from owning a firearm. It does not infringe on the Second Amendment. And, and while I'm no constitutional scholar, it does have the words well-regulated, and these seem to be sensible regulations. 
Well, now, here, here's a good thing about this, Brian. Sure. Nobody's going to agree with this because nobody wants to give up their position on the polar extreme. Mm-hmm. And so, once again, our government that's supposed to be for the people refuses to come together to compromise because they're way more interested scoring points against each other. Right, which gets back to your common bridge theme. It's like, how about you come a little bit this way on the, uh, on the bridge? We'll come in this way. And here, the answer is somewhere in the middle. The answer here. is somewhere in the middle, yeah. and it used to be that the art of compromise and getting the most sensible thing or what's achievable was considered to be good leadership, good politics, good policy, good government. That's been in our lifetime, too. It, it, it wasn't it too is. long ago where, where, where we valued that and, and the politician valued that, and that has disappeared in the last two decades. I it, think. Yes, it has. And now we have uh, extremes and, and choices that are worse and worse each year. So we're going to jump now into the third episode, which is also in October. And Rich was uh, talking about uh, his disappointment again in the polarization of politics in that uh, the Democratic Party can't seem to get their act together to defeat uh, a president that makes everybody a little uncomfortable, uh, to say the least. Um, Listen in. And we've all seen the behavior of our president. And look, whether you like the economy, whether you like the destruction of ISIS, whether you like the uh, action on the border and so forth, you have to admit that every American cringes not knowing what's going to get tweeted out at three in the morning, all right, or the constantly changing positions and so forth. All right. It's an uncomfortable time at best. Trump has been a disruptor. Yes, indeed. Um, And all the opposition party had to do was was act like adults, get a platform that America likes, and present a reasonable candidate. In fact, two of the three, it'd be a landslide. And yet, what have they done? Uh, they've acted like children from the uh, street marches, the property destruction after an election. Um, to uh, the horrible behavior at the Supreme Court uh, nomination, all right, to the uh, hoax investigations that are going on, to the, yes, this time we've got him on impeachment. It's like, give it a rest for Pete's sake. Think about a platform that America wants and come up with a candidate. And everybody would get behind that. It, it would. Uh, right. People are hunger for that. So the answer is not going to be in partisan politics. All right. I don't believe, um, you know, no matter what the outcome of the election is going to be, that people are going to go, OK, great. We've got that behind us. Um, <laughs> and the really sad thing is that when you look at the people that are struggling in the Democrat primary, like John Hickenlooper, who's out, well qualified to be president of the United States, um, uh, Delaney, Bennett, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, maybe a little early for Tulsi, but um, these voices of reason that are not ideologues and know how to operate a government, uh, they're long out of the process at this point. In this last clip that we do um, for this uh, Greatest Hits episode, and I think we'll do this again next week too, um, Rich talks a little bit about uh, Elizabeth Warren, who uh, back in October um, had probably uh, maybe a little higher approval rating in the polls 
But uh, Rich says some interesting things here um, on this side uh, of the aisle, on the, on the left side of the aisle, which I think you might find interesting. There is a theory that um, the Democrats have to fall in love with their candidate. Um, and, and there is more of appeal to the emotion on that side versus the pragmatism. Mm -hmm. And that's the nature of the beast for it, both sides. Indeed. And it may be more about appealing to the pragmatism. And so if I was advising Senator Warren and if she gets a nomination, I would really stress where do we go from here um, and acknowledge that, you know, at the pocketbook issues, things are pretty good right now. Um, and then move to the, you know, how do we invoke more fairness into the system and so forth. Um, and again, I think she's doing a brilliant job with the campaign. I think she's treading a fine line between the uh, Medicare for all um, that now that people have seen the bill, they go, well, wait a minute, that's not really what we want. <laughs> so the, the kind of, you know, uh, catchphrase is off. Um, and she's a very, she's a hardworking person. She's, uh, uh, you know, good e economist and such. Um, but she's going to, but she's going to have very difficult time separating herself uh, from what people fear about the the Democrats that they've moved too far left. Yeah. So you and think, the, you, and there's you a think, lot of ammunition out there for that. Oh, sure. And you, and you think that that's her biggest hill to climb, or do you think that maybe hill to climb is the wrong one, or do you think the next biggest thing she needs to worry about is that running mate? How can she? How can that running mate then bring in a bunch more? Right. Right. The running mate is the ticket to being competitive in November of 2020. Mm -hmm. All right. That's that's going to be. I mean, if you think about it, if I'm playing the hand of the president, all right, I would point at her and say all of the unemployment numbers, which are impressive, no matter how you want to cut them, mm -hmm. the increase in wages, the fact that the taxes on the um, coastal elites is starting to get balanced a little bit, which is a aspect of the tax system that's long been overdue that, that this current president Trump fixed. Um, point at all those and say they want to go backward, okay? And if she plays into that, she loses. Mm -hmm. She has to acknowledge that those gains have been made and then point to the future and say, this is where I'm going and I'm the adult leader to take you there. And that's where I give her really high marks is that she has behaved like an adult. And that is one of the, to me, the three elements for the Democrats. Act like adults platform that America wants, reasonable candidate. So I think we'll wrap this up uh, this week. And uh, like I say, it's Christmas Eve, so it's our little gift to you. Um, but I've liked this. I think what we'll do is um, perhaps uh, a week from today, we'll finish off the recap of what we've done this year with the Common Bridge, because I think it starts to bring together a lot of uh, what Rich um which is what's important to Rich when he promotes the common bridge uh, concept. Um, it gets a lot more into policy and such, and um, and I think you'll find it interesting. For those of you who've been following it along all along, um, I think you'll appreciate those clips. And for those of you who haven't, just keep going. You might want to go back and uh, look at uh, podcasts on apple.com or go to uh, richardhelpy.com. And you can uh, go through all these episodes, all these podcasts. I think you'll find it very interesting, and we're looking forward to um, an incredible 2020. We have a lot of stuff coming out in the new year. And uh, everybody just have a happy holiday and have a safe holiday, and we'll see you, see you next week. 
You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge Podcast. Recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.